I even told my wife at the time, I said, I probably won't last two years because Dr. Allison was our founder. He's up on a pedestal. He's in our little mid-America world. He was a living legend, and he's very strong-willed. And there were two ways to do something, the Allison way and the wrong way. And I just was not that type of person. I thought that I would be like a transitional leader. You know, sometimes you have a long-term pastor, and then somebody comes in for a couple years, and then the third person is kind of the next long-term person. I really just assumed that because of my youth and inexperience that I would be a transitional person. For half a century, Mid-America has been lighting the way by equipping biblical leaders to take the gospel to all the world for Jesus' sake. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. It's always, friend, a pleasure to get together with you. And we're going to celebrate today 50 years of operating a an incredible ministry right here in our city, Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Michael Spradlin, the president of the seminary, is here. Mike, welcome. Can you believe it's been 50 years? Byron, um, well, first of all, thank you for all that you do and Bot Radio. You guys are incredible, and you're one of the, the greatest blessings in the whole Mid-South area, just your program. And so, uh, first of all, thank you to you and the staff and just for allowing me to be with you today. Also, no, I can't believe it. <laughs> well, I was thinking about it. You were approximately 10 or 11 years old when the seminary began 50 years ago. That's right. So were you even thinking at that time, did you want to be a, uh, a policeman? Oh, I want to be a fireman. Oh, no, I, I want to be a seminary president. <laughs> I wanted to be a professional jazz musician. Did you really? Yeah, I did. And, and the Lord saved jazz and me when he saved me and called me to preach. So I wasn't a Christian when I was at that age. I was saved at 15. Some friends invited me to go to a church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I heard the gospel preached clearly and went back um, a few weeks later, and the pastor talked to me and led me to Christ. And so I was surrendered to preach about six months after that. I sensed a call to ministry at age 16, started preaching as a teenager. And so didn't know anything about seminary or education. So I really heard about Mid-America my sophomore year in college when my roommate told me about this school in Memphis. Yeah, yeah. Well, out of all of the various instruments in the orchestra, why did you choose the trombone? So I wanted to play trumpet, and I went to the music orientation thing where you went with your parents, and they uh, said, okay, we're going to decide, you know, kind of what instrument you are. And so the guy said my mouth was too big for the trumpet, (laughs) uh, prophetic. Um, (laughs) So he said, you would be better suited for the trombone because it has a bigger mouthpiece. And so the rest, as they say, is history. That's a crazy story, (laughs) very similar to mine when I entered band. I had the desire to play the trumpet, Mm -hmm. and I was all excited. I'm going to play the trumpet. Well, the band leader, Mr. Goldsmith, he said, we have all the trumpet players we need. You're going to play the tuba. (laughs) See, see? there you go. We ended up in the low brass That's exactly right. (laughs) But you still play the trombone. I still play, and I'll play on occasion, you know, different church groups and things like that. I love the trombone. I'm glad to have played it. It helped pay my way through college, even though I was a kind of a pastoral ministries major. I was on a partial music scholarship, and so it's provided an outlet for ministry through the years. And then I was a minister of music at a church um, while I was in seminary. I did music and youth. And so so it it did help out a lot. Well, Founders Days is coming up August 16th through the 18th. This is a really special time every year for the seminary, and especially this year with 50 years. That's right, and um, it's our 50th anniversary as an institution. School started in 1972, Little Rock, Arkansas. Then in 1975, really through the influence of Dr. Adrian Rogers, he had been a student of our founder, Dr. Gray Allison, and so he had talked to him about there's a building across the street from Bellevue Baptist Church in Midtown. So the seminary had thought about 
permanently located which in was a jewish synagogue it was a jewish synagogue and bellevue baptist church was looking at purchasing the property because temple israel was building a new facility and so bellevue had looked at it but it was on the other side of a busy street and they weren't really sure that they could retrofit it for what they needed but it had a school built into it or a shul as they said so adrian rogers called gray allison and said instant seminary well i remember of course i was in uh, the early days as a youth at bellevue downtown okay and was involved in the college ministry and the college sunday school classes used to meet at the seminary or the you know the wow. old synagogue there also have you been conditioning for any ultra marathons oh, um yeah i'm running right now yes i'm running in the jackson hole Wyoming Marathon um, in a couple months. That's at a high altitude. That'll be like 6,000 feet. Are these like 50, 75 miles? This will be 26.2 miles. Okay. And then by the time I wander around, probably <laughs> add another half mile because I usually you know, kind of slow. But I'm very slow. I'm kind of a back of the packer. It's really just my weird hobby of, of this stage of life. I'll be doing um, the Marine Corps Marathon, also the Big Buffalo 50. There's a 50-kilometer ultra marathon I'll do in a couple of half ultras in the area. And then the St. Jude Marathon, which is always such a big event. So why all the interest in these marathons? What does it do for you personally? um, It's kind of stress management, and it does help my bacon cheeseburger habit a little bit, (laughs) because this year I finally had to get serious and lose some weight, because I was just gaining so much. But it's been a fun hobby, but also it's been kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's a great personal discipline to kind of focus. I don't call it my prayer time. My prayer time is separate, but it is really good think time when yeah. I'm out running yeah. and you just kind of you yeah. got a thinking project and you know, what would I've done different? How could I've done that better? What could I do? What might happen? I've come to enjoy a block of time. Yes. You're not on the phone. You're not emailing. Uh, you're not texting. You're not on social media and you just kind of think. So so I don't call it prayer time. It's not my devotional time, but it is a time just to kind of think about or meditate on some scripture, yeah. like maybe the yeah. verse really hits you that day and yeah. it's like, wow, man, I got to think about that. And and then also, if I've got like a big project or writing project, and I want to think through what I'm doing, those running times are what I do. So it's yeah. really kind of a fun think time. Yeah, I love exercise, uh, aerobic type, you know, exercise, uh, cycling, right. and, and, and running too. But with my knees, you know, I'm just not able to do those big runs like that. It's it's one of those things, and and my time will come to an end. I will say this: in the, Memphis has a big running community. Being out with the the crowd at those those events, it's kind of fun. You're at the crowd; it feels kind of like a adrenaline rush, even though it's all participation trophies. But it is kind of fun. And I always think about, man, all these people need the gospel. I wish there was a way to, wow. you know, you how do you connect yeah. with all these young people, and they'll come out for an event like that. So there's a lot to it. But now, thanks for asking. Originally, Mike, the sim- Seminary was called the School of the Prophets when it started back in That's 72, right. and it was in a church in Little Rock, Arkansas, Olivet Baptist Church. That is correct. So Dr. Allison and several men had been praying for about a decade, and they were praying that one of the Southern Baptist Convention, that's our denomination, one of the Southern Baptist Convention seminaries would kind of recapture the fire for missions and evangelism. So they had been at New Orleans Baptist Seminary in the 1950s, and Roland Q. Level, a great leader and personal soul winner, had kind of started this program where you need to witness every week, and and it sparked a revival. And a lot of those men looked back on that and said, wow, we want to see something like that again. So after about a decade, they decided that maybe the Lord was calling them to start a seminary that really focused on revival, missions, evangelism, and of course, believing the Bible. So they were going to originally call it the School of the Prophets, and somebody had promised them some land in Little Rock, Arkansas, if they would start the school there. Mm -hmm. And so Dr. Gray had made a connection with the pastor at Olivet, and um, that pastor said, hey, why don't we invite the school to start here? And that's kind of how it happened. 
So the school started there, 28 students that first year, and no money, no budget, no nothing. And the faculty agreed to come for no salary Wow! if no, if yeah. no funds yeah. came in. Something else really kind of ignited the concern with Dr. Allison was the neo-orthodoxy encroaching. At that time, the Southern Baptist Cooperative Program seminaries what were the specific concerns? Can you share a little bit yeah, about I that? I can. So without getting into too much shop talk, there was this idea, well, you know, the Bible is just another book. It's got mistakes in it. This is not obviously the right view, but it's got mistakes in it. And, and you know, ultimately, it'll get you and me to the right destination to heaven. Like I was even taught in college, there's no such thing as a demon or demon possession. That's mental illness. But Jesus didn't know any better. You know, he just didn't understand modern medicine. And so Jesus... And, and you went to a Baptist college. I did. <laughs> Southern Baptist College. And so, so I remember in New Testament survey being taught Jesus was a product of his time. And he was limited by that. But... He still could tell us accurately how to get to heaven. Well, I had no answer. I felt it was wrong. No one had ever told me that there were views out there like that. And that's really part of what sparked me to go to Mid-America is I just thought, well, I want to know the truth. I want an answer. So these type of issues had crept in to Southern Baptist seminaries. And so there was a legitimate theological concern that was not being addressed. You know, it's crazy, Mike, so ironic that you would attend a seminary to study and prepare to teach and preach God's word the Bible, but fail to believe the authority and the order of God's redemptive plan. It's the problem, and schools always have this problem. There's a peer pressure to be a skeptic or a doubter. You know, it's like it's like it's academically credible if you're a skeptic. And so seminary professors can be susceptible to that peer pressure. And then, of course, there are these what are commonly called liberal views where you take the Bible and the authority of God's Word out of it. And, you know, many people have warned about this from Spurgeon onwards. Once you disconnect from the Bible, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. You'll eventually yeah. stop believing Jesus is God. Well, what are some new encroachments of neo-orthodoxy that are impacting the church today? And how is Mid-America preparing students in that battle? That's a really good question. So today, what we see is there's a lot of pragmatism. In other words, it's it's not necessarily somebody's got a doctrinal view that they're trying to force. It's more like, hey, what keeps people happy? What gets the crowd coming? And if we can get a crowd and make people feel good, mm -hmm. then we've accomplished our mission. And so that's there. Also, anytime you add words to the gospel, like, you know, social gospel, or uh, critical race theory, some of these type of things are current trends that people say, well, you've got to understand this issue, and this issue will interpret the Bible for you. So whenever you try to have a filter or lens between you and the Word of God, that's when you know there's a problem. Yeah. Mike, one of your former students, Dr. Bartholomew Orr, who pastors the Brown Missionary Baptist Church mm -hmm. in South Haven, I know you know well, was recently on this show back in April. We were talking about this culture battle, and one of the things he said is, I'm quoting here, just think about redefining marriage. You preach for years that marriage is one man and one woman, and yet we live in a day and time now it has been redefined and called out. Just stand on the truth that marriage is still one man and one woman as designed by God. Over the course of time, we have seen so much of what we have preached watered down in the community in a culture, and the culture at one point were more in line with the teaching of the church. We have drifted so far away. Why is that? Is it because as believers, we have become laxed? Wow, that's a great word. That's a great word. So speak into that. I mean, have we become lax? We have, and I think it's because I call it a self-inflicted wound. I think it's because we've neglected the Word of God in our 
personal quiet time or devotional lives. I think it's just because we haven't really emphasized Bible teaching in our churches. It's the idea that from the pulpit or in a discipleship group or whatever you want to call it, the Word of God should be emphasized. And if you don't know the Word, then you don't have that protection. The Holy, How can the Holy Spirit guide you if you don't have the Word of God hidden in your heart? Yeah. And that's what's happened is as the Word of God becomes devalued, we drift along with the culture. That's really good. really good question. Reflect, if you would, on that transition where Dr. Gray Allison stepped down as president of the seminary and you were installed. What was the biggest challenge for you in stepping into that role? It was one of those things where being very young and naive, I'm still not very smart, but at least I'm not young anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But I really, and I, I even told my wife at the time, I said, I probably won't last two years because Dr. Allison was our founder. He's up on a pedestal. He's in our little mid America world. He was a living legend. And he's very strong-willed, and there were two ways to do something, the Allison way and the wrong way. And I just was not that type of person. I thought that I would be like a transitional leader. You know, sometimes you have a long-term pastor, and then somebody comes in for a couple years, and then the third person is kind of the next long-term person. I really just assumed that because of my youth and inexperience that I would be a transitional person. And so Leanne and I uh, were talking, my wife and I were talking, and she said, well, why would we do that? If, if," And I said, well, if that's what God's called you to do, you you do that. And, you know, I'm I'm an unknown, and so I really have nothing to lose, you know, if, if, if it flames out after two years. But I had a calling to do it. And Dr. Allison is what made it successful because he said, I have a conviction from the Lord that I'm supposed to retire. The trustees, you know, he said, I don't want to pick my successor. And so the trustees had gone through a pretty extensive process. I wasn't really in on it other than being one of the candidates. So when I started, though, I had his full enthusiastic support, and that's what made it work. Dr. Allison's final charge to the board of directors was, be sure that Mid-America is true to Jesus Christ, the Lord and to his holy and errant word. Be sure the seminary stays true to her commitment to the local church. Be sure that always when people hear the name of the school that they will think Bible preaching, missions, evangelism, these things are of vital importance. Keeping that, I mean, for 50 years, that's longevity. And to be able to keep that goal and that focus. For me, one of the biggest challenges is because when you talk about vision and and leadership and stuff like that is people feel like, well, a new vision is exciting. And if you're just saying the same old things, and we've talked about that through the years, like Bible missions evangelism, gosh, you guys have been talking about that forever. You need to change. You know, what are you doing next? And it's like, well, that's our calling. A vision is not some new marketing campaign that we've got. It's like God called us to stand for the inerrancy of Scripture, which means the Bible's all the way true personal evangelism, just telling the love of Jesus to Mm -hmm. everybody and taking the gospel to the nations. So the key thing and the fact that the Board of Trustees have been great in this regard, too, is everybody's really been sensitive to the fact that we have a calling from God for these things. It's not that we're trying to come up with a new angle or something like that. And that's where I really remember so many things. Dr. Gray was great. We call him Dr. Gray because we had several Allisons on faculty when I was a student. But we really call out to the Lord, keep us straight. I mean, that's the thing, is that you and I are sinners. I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. But the Lord guides us, and as long as we're willing to listen, he will give us that direction. Do you have any special moments, just one-on-one time with you and Dr. Gray? Kind of in a relaxed mode, just sharing time together? It's a really good question. So I was scared to death of Gray Allison as a student. I avoided him at all costs. He was this dominating figure. And it's like, you know, if, if you weren't dressed right, you, if you left your tie at home, don't let him catch you. You know, he'd say, maybe you need to find another seminary. So uh, for two degrees, master's and doctorate, I talked to him almost not at all. Totally my fault, my loss. 
when I came back on faculty in 93, um, after a year, went up to New York to lead the Mid-American New York right. campus. So he came up and spent a couple days up there just to, to be with us. And one day he just relaxed and started just talking about his life and telling jokes and singing songs. And then we'd kind of drive in the car together to go visit pastors and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is an awesome guy. I wish I'd met you years earlier. And so it's really sad because I had him on such a pedestal. I didn't even think of him as like a regular guy. And I remember him telling me, I'm a strong introvert, and I just really need alone time. It's like, you talk to people 24-7. He said, well, that's the calling. So that's a great question. Man, he was a treasure in so many ways, but it was really in New York that I met the man. Yeah, and you also discovered something about his military career. And wrote a book on it. That is true, Sons of the 43rd. It actually started with a family story. In the early 90s, one of my great uncle, he had disappeared in World War II. His plane flew into a cloud over New Guinea. So 50 years later, a logging company found the wreckage of the American bomber in the mountains of New Guinea. And his remains were brought home with the rest of the crew, and they were buried in Arlington National Cemetery. My dad's mom had grown up in a family that her dad had died and a lot of difficult circumstances, and the youngest children had been sent away to grow up in an orphanage. So I knew the story, and I thought, I wonder if my great uncle, who had grown up in an orphanage for part of his life, I could just put his life back together. He never married, never had a family, disappeared, and his picture was on the mantle of every member of my family. His name was Delmer Dotson. You know, we joke St. Delmer. He's, you know, he's up there by the picture of Jesus on the fireplace mantle. So anyway, I started writing a book, just kind of a little here and there. And one day, I don't know, I had this weird thought. I picked up the phone, and I said, 43rd Bomb Group, 65th Squadron. And Gray Allison said, yeah, that was my unit. Oh, my. And I said, you were in the same squadron. And he said, okay. So my great uncle died a few weeks before Gray Allison got to the unit. Wow. So my uncle was in the Army before, in the Army Air Corps, before the war, been stationed in Hawaii. If you've ever seen the movie From Here to Eternity, that unit was his unit before the war. So wow. he was in the Schofield Barracks area. So anyway, then I just, it was like, wow, what a neat moment. Dr. Gray had lost his dad, and my mm. great uncle had lost his dad. So I thought, you know, they're kind of found their place in this unit. So I wrote the book Sons of the 43rd. And it was a, it was a kind of a neat journey for me to put all this story together. What an honor to do that, Mike. In fact, Byron, this is just to show you, you know, missed opportunities. It turned out that a member of Delmer's crew named Max Meyer, I saw this article, his nickname was Memphis Max, and he lived till 2008, and he's buried at Memorial Park. I've met some members of his family. They don't live in the Memphis area anymore, but the Commercial Appeal would write articles, Memphis Max over there fighting the war. And, you know, I just thought I could have gone and talked to him if I'd known about it. Yeah. And he wow. was in the same plane with my uncle on one of their missions where they all won the Silver Star. So it was a, it was a neat journey there. That's a beautiful story. Mike, recent data collected from Barna's pastor poll indicate that U.S. pastors are currently in crisis and at risk of burnout. There has been a dramatic increase in the number of pastors who are thinking about quitting ministry entirely. 38% indicate they have considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year. This percentage is up nine full points from 29% since Barna asked church leaders the same question at the beginning of 2021. Can the seminary do more in a supportive role for graduates pastoring that may be filling the squeeze of burnout. You know, we can. The data there, what you've said, that's that's really appropriate. Of course, there's a ministry joke that 100% of pastors think about quitting every Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, um, uh, you know, the thing you find is that it's typically conflict. It's internal conflict that is the biggest cause of burnout because we have this expectation. 
it's the church. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody loves each other, and we expect that. You know, if the world is mean to you, think, okay, well, that's the world. They're, they're going to be mean. Internal conflict just devastates pastors. I've seen this for, for decades, and it's that conflict within the congregation that is the most telling. If there's conflict outside the congregation, a lot of times that kind of rallies the people. It's like, hey, we're going to stand together no matter right, what. Right. you know. And yeah. So how do you overcome that? It's really difficult. I've got a couple of books that I've given out. Dozens of copies through the years, um, Well-Intentioned Dragons and Antagonist in the Church. And it talks about sometimes there are people in the church that are evil. They're there to cause disruption. There are other people that they probably mean well. They just tend to be disruptive. And so how do you deal with that? And and dealing with conflict is really – Internally, we want to teach how to deal with conflict and manage your own emotional state and all that kind of stuff because that's what prepares them for it. But being an encourager, a lot of times, the best you can do. Have there been any interesting or unusual student stories that stands out to you? I'm sure there's many. How a particular student got to the seminary? Well, one student named Pa Long, he's in what would be the country of Myanmar, northern Myanmar. A gentleman, he made an appointment a few days before, but he showed up at my office from Myanmar. He just came to visit, and he said, God has led me here because my son in the ministry, who will probably be the next president, needs to be a student here. And Byron, I don't know how he even heard about Mid-America, but he'd been praying. So this people group in northern Myanmar is a heavily persecuted people group. And Palong grew up on the run from the communist government in the jungle, their family constantly relocating because of persecution. And it was because it was a Christianized people group. So they have a training center for pastors. God puts it on this elderly pastor and president of the school. And it's really not even a formal school as we would understand it. So he flies to America. He gets the funds together, flies to America, comes to Memphis, Tennessee, and he wants his son in the ministry to come here. And that's always stood out to me is how God brought him halfway around the world to come to school. And he got two degrees from us and is back doing ministry there today. Oh, I love that. In 2017, Mid-America launched the college at Mid-America offering bachelor's degrees. What were the circumstances leading up to creating this academic institution? You know, it's um, it's a great story. Thank you for asking that as well. So we had some college degrees all along, an associate's degree for people that were called in ministry later in life and and weren't able to get a four-year degree. So we've always had what we would call undergraduate degrees. But we hadn't really started a college. A lot of seminaries have because your college will feed into your Mm. grad program. So that was a a big thing. Um, Really, it was Dr. Charles Fowler, at that time pastor of the Germantown Baptist Church. He met with me and said he'd really been burdened to talk to me about this, that Mid-America should start a college. And I actually laughed it off, and he wanted to talk to me, and he had this real burden. And so I began praying about it. Well, I got burdened, too, and maybe humorous side of it. I, I went to our executive vice president or the brains of the outfit, Brad Thompson, and I said, could we start a college? He said, come back tomorrow. And I was like, come back tomorrow? So come back the next day. I had the PowerPoint presentation all set out. Here's how you do it. Here's how you get it approved. Here's the degrees, and here's how you start it. And I was like, Brad, that's that's amazing. How did you do that in a day? He said, I pitched this to you 10 years ago, and you brushed it off. Oh, he said, so what changed? I said, I guess it's my idea now. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so Dr. Brad Thompson was the one that really kind of showed us how we could do it, and then the trustees approved it, and we got the degrees approved with accreditation. And it's been great because it kind of broadens our ability to train people. Maybe they won't be a pastor, but they'll be yeah. a godly leader in their church. Yeah. What has been your biggest thrill and joy of being president and connected with Mid-America Seminary? It's the people. It's just getting to meet so many people. It's like being an ambassador for something that you love. And they're just awesome people that you get to meet, you know, not only locally, but around the country and around the world. And I mean, you could do that anyway. 
And there are so many people that love MidAmerica and the mission. They love training people for ministry. They love helping pastors. And when you meet them, it's kind of humbling to think that, and it has nothing to do with me. It's just they have a burden from the Lord to be involved. And I think that's been the biggest thrill. I'm kind of a people person, so that would kind of go along with that. Let's wrap up, Mike, today's program by talking about the message of the gospel. Without Christ's death and resurrection on the cross at Calvary over 2,000 years ago, there would be no need for a seminary like MidAmerica. What is God's intention through the gospel, and how does it really affect human life today? So the Lord has always been in the seeking and saving business. You know, from Genesis, where you have the fall, where Adam and Eve sin, and they're separated from God. God walks in the garden, and he calls out to them, where are you? And of course, he knows exactly where they are, but it's almost like, where are you in relationship to me? So the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and you said it so well, the crucifixion and resurrection, that's the only hope. That's the only hope to be restored into fellowship with God. It's the only hope to go to heaven. And if you don't have the biblical, clear, and accurate gospel, then you have nothing. You you end up in hell for all eternity. And so a school like MidAmerica, we serve local churches with leadership training. Seminary is not really a Bible thing. It's the local church is is what the Bible talks about. But we're, in a sense, an extension or a helper or an aid to local churches to train people for leadership and ministry. And that's what a good seminary ought to be. It ought to be really focused on practical ministry. We're not an academic institution. We're not Harvard on the Mississippi River, but we're a tools for your tool belt kind of school. Yeah. Well, again, the Founders Day celebration, August 16th through the 18th, you've got some special guests. We do. We have Ernie Haas and Signature Sound are coming. Big concert on Tuesday night. We'll have choir, orchestra led by Dr. Jim Whitmire. I'll be preaching a message on the cross, talking about not really just the past, but what's the next few years look like for the seminary. We'll have some special ceremonies with the faculty. We always sign the articles of belief, the doctrinal statement, to say, hey, we're standing firm on the Word of God. Wednesday morning, Dr. Mikey Mooburn, who's the new dean of the seminary, Dr. Thompson, Dr. Brad Thompson's the dean of the college. He's the dean of the seminary. I'm the president of everything. But Mikey will be preaching. Thursday, I'll be telling the story, The Miracle of Mid-America. Dr. Allison did that about just all the unusual things that God did through the years. And it's pretty amazing. I um, have to tell myself sometimes when I'm feeling a little weak in prayer. It's like, Lord, is this going to work out? I know the Lord's like, well, has it worked out every year for 50 years? Yes, it's going to work out. And so how God does it is really awesome. And this is a community-wide, open-to-the-public event. Absolutely. We would love, if you need some encouragement, you want some Bible preaching, some great music, signature sound is incredible, come join us. It's open to the public, whether it's Tuesday night or Wednesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. We want you there. Come and just come and be blessed. The Founders Day celebration, August 16th through the 18th. Go to the website for more details at mabts.edu. Be sure and check it out, mabts.edu. Dr. Michael Spradlin, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing with us Founders Days in these 50 years at MidAmerica. Thank you, Byron. It's been a joy to be with you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.